the words veteran and homeless should never go together. Michelle Garcia served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to use as a paramedic. But when they left the service, these veterans had problems with homelessness. Homelessness is the worst thing for anybody to be involved in. If you're a veteran in need or you know a veteran who is homeless or at risk of being homeless, call toll-free 877-424-3838 or visit va.gov homeless. Hello, everyone. I'm Timothy Lawson, your host for This Week at VA. I hope everyone had a fun and safe New Year's. 2017 is now upon us, and we are headed into Episode 12. If you haven't already, I suggest you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. We will soon be in Stitcher, and I'm also interested in the other places you may be listening to your podcasts. If you use something other than iTunes or Stitcher, please email me at newmedia@va.gov so I can add it to our distribution. Homelessness is a serious issue in America and one that plagues our veteran community. However, communities, states, and our nation have made huge strides to eliminate homelessness among veterans. Since 2010, veteran homelessness has been cut in half, and currently there are around 35 cities and communities that have effectively ended veteran homelessness, including Buffalo, Las Vegas, New Orleans, Houston, and others. Effectively ending veteran homelessness means that the leadership in those areas have put processes and resources in place to immediately aid a veteran that becomes homeless or is at risk for being homeless. You can contact your local government office or your local VA medical center to learn about what resources your community has put in place. The feature interview today is with Jim Davis. Jim currently serves as the Veterans Outreach Specialist at Pathways to Housing D.C., Jim served in the Air Force and went on to live a nomadic life of homelessness for nearly a decade. I visited Jim at his workplace so we could conduct this interview. The only room that was available was a small, empty room, so the recording is going to sound a little hollow. Jim is going to describe how he ended up being homeless, how he moved on from that life, and how VA helped him recover. Enjoy. The Veterans Outreach Specialist. Pathways to Housing in D.C. James Davis, we like to go by Jim. Jim. Jim, every podcast, we, every interview, we go back to the same point in every person, every veteran's life, the decision to join the military. Let's go back to that. What year was it and what was your decision motivated from? It was 1981 and the one incident that made me want to go in the military was when Reagan got shot. I remember uh, standing at a gas station when they used to have televisions in gas stations and uh, Reagan had just gotten shot and after pumping my gas I was standing there in the gas station watching this all unfold and uh, I for some reason decided I wanted to go sign up to join the military and turned my car around and went to Knoxville, Tennessee and uh, my dad was a 30-year Navy veteran, and uh, I decided to join the Air Force just to be different. <laughs> which, what was your occupation? I was site development, which is just a fancy term for land surveyor and draftsman. Uh, back then, we did everything by hand and everything. Um, worked after training, which was in Wichita Falls. I went, my first duty station was in Alamogordo, New Mexico, which uh, they have a lot of sand there. And then I uh, spent two years in Germany. Uh, after I got out of the military, I stayed in Germany for an additional year. 
worked for a German engineering firm over there. We did a lot of contract work for the uh, military, for the Army, the Air Force over there. And then at the end of the first year, I decided to come back to the States. Okay. Um, you know, we here, we're here in D.C. Have you been to the Washington Hilton, where the location where he was shot? I've driven by it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I, it's like every weekend driving by it, you know, because doing what I do, I'm in the field all the time. So every yeah. time I drive, I'm like, oh, that's the one. Okay, that's the reason why I'm here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. And so how long were you in? I was in for four years, one month, and one day. Okay. And what, what motivated you to separate? Um, I never went in with the intention of making it a career. Uh, I still, even to this day, firmly believe that everybody should at least spend one tour of duty in the military. I think it instills a lot of good, uh, instills a good work ethic, um, gives you an opportunity to learn, learn new skills, especially if you're fresh out of high school, uh, see new parts of the world. I'd never would have seen Germany, I don't think, if I hadn't been in the military. Um, meet a lot of new people. Um, one of the guys, uh, we weren't stationed together, but when uh, I was working for the German engineering firm, we were roommates, he was in the army. Uh, we're still friends to this day. He lives just a couple hours north of here up in Harrisonburg. What did you do when you first got out? Wow. Uh, when I first got out, I worked in a sausage factory. Okay. Making uh, meats and sausages and things like that. I uh, went back to Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is where my first duty station was because I had some friends there. And I'm from East Tennessee, which is a strong tourist area. Tourist area. I really didn't want to deal with that whole scene again, so I went back out west. Uh, and basically, for the next four or five years or so, just bummed around from different jobs. In uh, 1987, I married, uh, wound up working at a uh, bookstore in El Paso, Texas, spent eight years there, and then had a daughter while we were there in 1993. In 1995, we decided that we'd had enough of the Desert Southwest, we didn't want to raise her there any longer. Um, so, two years old, my then wife, myself, my daughter moved back to my home in Sevierville, Tennessee. Okay, um, so, that we, so that was 95? That was 95, we moved from El Paso to Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, then for the next couple of years, I just did little odd jobs. In the space of two years, I probably had four or five different jobs. Um, in 1997, my marriage fell apart. Um, a lot of different things brought it about, but uh, it had been a long time coming, and uh, I walked out of a marriage. Yeah. Um, after being married for 10 years, you know, and sort of thinking your life was going to go one way, and then all of a sudden realizing, okay, it's totally changed. I'm like, okay, what do I want to do now? 36 years old, I felt like I had done what everybody else wanted me to do. And I figured, okay, I'm going to take a little time to do what I want to do. But I need some time to clear my head. And not having an apartment or any place like that, I stayed at my dad's house for a couple of weeks. And then I got a seasonal job up at Lacotte Lodge in the uh, Smokies. 
highest wilderness lodge east of the smoke, east of the Mississippi. So it's about 6,600 feet. Um, got paid right at minimum wage. Lived up there, had to walk up five mile hike one way. Uh, did the winter caretaker up there for one season. It was pretty spectacular. And uh, that was probably the start of my strange venture into homelessness. Yeah. Before we get into your life as, uh, as with homelessness, I want to go back uh, to that transition from getting out of the military all the way up maybe until you're, you, you're, you were confident your marriage wasn't going to last. What was your experience in, in searching for a purpose? Because I know that's, that's something that a lot of veterans um, really struggle with is when they transition out there in search of a renewed purpose and yeah. some people find it with their first job like our secretary bob mcdonald found it a few years after he started his first job some people it takes a you know nearly a decade to finally find yeah. where they fit how was that for you uh my purpose wasn't related to job my purpose was related at that time to the church uh, part of the reason moving back to alamo gordo was um, there was a church that i'd gone to when i first got there as my duty station I left there when I went to Germany, and that was one of the primary factors in moving back to Alamogordo, New Mexico once I came back. So a lot of my spare time, which really was from the time I went in the military up until 1997, a lot of it was centered around church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, you know, revival meetings, you know, I, I was basically told that you know the church was my life you know and i tried to find my purpose within and tried to find my destiny so to speak within within the church my then wife and myself we met in church we had only known each other for about three months before we got married so there wasn't a whole lot of getting to know each other you know and, and things like that the job was simply a way to pay the bills, you know, and never really had, had any job skills that I marketed or proceeded any further with. Uh, you know, I just took whatever came along, whatever suited my interest at that moment. And then a lot of veterans, when they transition, experience uh, an emotional crisis um, at some point um, after their transition. Um, I'm sure if you experienced one, it was related to what you just uh, described, but um, did you experience any sort of emotional crisis soon after your, your transition? No, I really didn't, you know. Um, I had a good time in the military. I enjoyed the experience, um, but I was ready to get on with what I considered to be real life, yeah. you know. Um, I did my four years, and that was enough for me, Sure. You know? I had I had support of my family and and um, you know it's always hard leaving friends and leaving. For me, I loved Germany. I, I literally fell in love with Germany while I was there, and it was hard leaving there because while I was there, I did speak German pretty much exclusively. So once I got back to the states, it took a good six eight months to remember how to speak American again. <laughs> yeah, right. You said your marriage, uh, you walked out of a marriage, and you said it was a long time coming. What do you think was the barrier between you realizing your marriage wasn't going to last and your, final, your decision to finally walk out? 
I think it had a lot to do with what was the values that were instilled into me by my parents. My mom and dad were married for over 30 years, you know, and also the values that were instilled in me in the church, you know, I was told that you aren't supposed to divorce, you know, if your man and wife gets married, it's supposed to be forever. But I saw the emotional abuse I was going through. Um, I knew my then wife wasn't happy in the relationship. Uh, I wasn't happy. And uh, the final night we were together, there was physical violence committed against me. Uh, and that was when I decided to leave. Yeah. Uh, when I experienced violence. I'm not a violent person, I'm not an angry person. So I know when it's time to cut my losses and run. Sure. And, you know, I, I took what was mine and left. There was never any arguments over possessions with the exception of the child. Um, and that got worked out over time. Yeah. Um, so then let's go back to, uh, where was the, the, the cabin you were talking about or the, the lodge? That was, was in the, uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Yeah, there we go. Um, you said that was your sort of your start into your life in homelessness. Yours, your life in homelessness is very unique. Yeah. Um, in that, most people are are have stories of living on the streets or living um, somewhere in a suburban area community, whatever it may be. You lived in the woods. Yep. Um, did you just one day just wander off and never come back? Like, how'd that happen? No. During this process, when I was working at LeConte Lodge, trying to sort of regain my direction, you know, figure out what, what the next move in my life was going to be, one of the guys who I worked with up there, he was the same age as I was, he had uh, done different things in the outdoor community, such as trail construction. Uh, he had done ridge running, which is where, uh, for example, on the Appalachian Trail, um, he had monitored a piece of the trail, usually typically about anywhere from 30 to 50 miles worth of trail. And every night he would, you know, spend a night in a different place, just, you know, picking up trash, educating people, leave no trace. He had worked in other lodges uh, up in New Hampshire, for example, up in uh, uh, Massachusetts. And I thought, hmm, that sounds like fun. You know, uh, I had been Brought up, like I say, in a middle-class household. My dad was a 30-year Navy veteran. Uh, had never been told what homelessness was. Never knew anything about homelessness. And even at that point when I made that conscious decision to literally walk away from everything, I had no clue that years later I would recognize it to be what it is, which is being homeless. Sure. I just pictured it as another way of living my life, you know, another, another different, different, a different reality, sure. you know. I have a handful of questions okay. um, about the way you maintained your life. Okay. Because um, it's about 10 years, right? That yeah, it was about 10 years from 1997, actually, until 1999. During that time, I probably had, I look at my resume, probably about 10 or 12 different Seasonal jobs, that's how I got my money. Sometimes they would pay uh, $10 a day a place to stay and last for, you know, six months. Other times I might get 
750 an hour, last for three months. It, but they were all seasonal jobs. Um, depending on what came with it, there might be like a cabin that I would stay in, or quite often I would sleep in a vehicle that I had at the time. Um, uh, sleeping in my tent. During that time I had two, three vehicles and I think I paid more for my tent than I did for all three vehicles combined. <laughs> so, um, you know, sort of just a wide, wide range of things I would do to get a little bit of cash, but then once I got the cash and was done with the job, I'd take off, I'd go hiking, or I'd go to Florida during the winter, camp out with the hippies. Uh, just whatever I found to do that in the spur of the moment uh, and wherever I, wherever the wind blew me is where I wound up at pretty much. One year I wound up in Montana. Huh. You know? Yeah. And like what was your like did you like when you said you wound up in Montana did you get there and just go stake out a great place to live in the woods for a while? No. I had actually uh, uh, heard about a group of hippies called the Rainbow <laughs> Family and when I walked away from my marriage and I decided, okay, I want to do things my way for a while, my way for a while, I decided to let my hair down. I had spent the early formative years, you know, my early 20s in the church, very straight-laced, you know, and I thought, okay, it's time to see what I missed and if anything's worth it, you know. Um, so... I went to the Rainbow Gathering, National Rainbow Gathering out in Montana. Went out there with a friend who I knew from the hiking community. Uh, he had a uh, RV and he just wanted someone to drive. So I drove from East Tennessee to Montana in an RV. It's not fun. I don't recommend it. Um, spent six weeks out there. Um, and. Really, it was probably some of the most interesting period of my life because I felt like I was doing something that was totally out of character. Yeah. But, um, you know, I didn't know where I was going to be laying my head at night. I didn't even know for sure at times if I was going to make it to Montana, you know, uh, or make it back to Tennessee, you know, or wherever I was going afterwards. Um, but somehow things always seemed to click. Um, it was also while I was in Montana that I first experimented with some heavy drugs, um, primarily LSD. That was, that was that trip that I came back east and sure. resumed doing the things that I do here in the east, everywhere from Maine to Florida. Yeah. Um, have you hiked the Appalachian Trail in its entirety? I, uh, I've done all but 300 miles. Okay. And because I'm a southern boy, I've done from, um, uh, Springer to Harper's Ferry three times. Okay. I like the South. Sure. Um, so that start, So this started in 1997? Yes. It actually ended in um, 2009. 2009? Yeah. So what was the, like, did you just decide one day, like almost like a forced Gump that was running and decided, well, I'm going to go home now? Like, what prompted your wandering out of the woods and coming back okay. to civil civilization? So in 2007, um, I'd gotten to that point to where I was like, okay, let's see if I can settle down for a minute. You know, I was pushing 50 and it was getting old, 
Yeah. You know, I was ready for a bed. Um, so I was, we were actually building some trail in the New River Gorge in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And I thought, okay, now it's time to settle down. I was introduced to a gentleman who owned 300 acres on the Gauley River in West Virginia. And he was building some high dollar rental cabins. And he offered me a position and I took it. And I worked for him for about a year and a half. And for about the first six months I worked for him, I lived in a tent in a uh, whitewater rafting campground. You know, when you go someplace, walk into a new town where you don't have any money, don't know a whole lot of people, it's hard to try to find an apartment. I had my tent, I was comfortable in my tent, you know. That, that was my home, you know. And I, so I spent six months in the, in the whitewater campground because it was cheap. Um, eventually winter set in, they closed down the campground and to sort of help at least keep me inside for the winter. What I did in addition to working for this gentleman full time was during the evenings, I was working as a caretaker of a hostel in the New River Gorge. So at least I had a place inside where I could keep my stuff and lay my head down at night. Yeah. You know? uh, there wasn't any financial benefit to it. It was just, you know, I'll watch the place, they'll provide me a place to lay down at night. So. I'm sorry, going back to your, your life uh, in homelessness, like, were you content for most of it? Would you say that you identified as content or were you anxious? Like, what was your, what was the baseline of your emotions throughout this experience? It's hard to say there was a baseline um, because depending on where I was, there could be emotions ranging from pure ecstasy uh, to severe depressions, like why am I out here? Why am I doing this? You know, and how can I get out of this? You know, this is getting old. You know, it's nice when it's a sunshiny day and 80 degrees and you're standing on top of a mountain, but when it's 32 degrees and it's raining and it's cold and windy and you know everything you've got is wet, it gets old. You know, um, I mean, ten years, I spend. 10 hours in the wilderness and that's a challenge for me you yeah, know I can't yeah. imagine living the better part of a decade like yeah. that what's something that you got from it looking back on it um, and we'll get to sort of how you got to where you are now at Pathways but briefly looking back on it what's an, what's something you got from that experience that you're benefit from me now okay so I sort of got it through I don't know, reverse psychology or whatever because when I was when I was living in the woods the thing I valued most was my privacy. I felt as if I didn't need anybody else, I didn't want anybody else. Um, knowing the things that I went through and knowing what I know now, the thing that I value most is the friendship of other people. You know, I, I am a social person, I do need that social interaction. It, it, uh, it keeps my mind straight, you know. It, and it's nice when things go horribly wrong. It's nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of or just say, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time. You know, it's nice to have that other person to talk to. Yeah. So you have, um, you have this job, this, uh, like, work at the hostel. You got these, uh, these um, opportunities that are coming up, helping you slowly get out of this lifestyle. 
What brings you from there to where you are now working and living in D.C.? Bring us through that, that okay. segment of your life. So in 2007, like I said, I was working for this gentleman in West Virginia. In 2008, the, uh, the Great Depression hit. As a result, he lost a lot of his funding, had to cut back on his construction plans, and therefore staff. Um, I was dealing with child support issues and a lot of things. Um, I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have a car. Um, I had very little interaction with other people, uh, with the exception of those at work. Um, and I just really, I really started into this downward spiral where even the slightest little thing got magnified and it was like a woe is me. And in uh, early 2008, literally my world came crashing down around me. Um, the only way I can describe it is I emotionally lost control went to the VA in Beckley, West Virginia to check myself in, um, was told that I was a walking stroke because of my blood pressure. Um, through subsequent series of events, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. A couple weeks later, I checked myself into the uh, uh, mental health ward at uh, Salem VA in, in uh, still of Roanoke. Spent three days there, and that was sort of the process that started me back to, okay, let's <clears throat> see if we can't get things back in order, you know. So while in the back of my mind I was ready to get things back, you know, try to get my life back together, the other part of me was saying, okay, I've been here for two years, the economy is going bad, it's time to move on. I found another job, another seasonal job up in New Hampshire, Maine. I worked for Appalachian Mountain Club for six months. At the end of that six months, I suddenly found myself with, with no, money, no money in my pocket, Nowhere to go, no, you know, no place to go to, no job, and I was literally tired of living the way I'd been living for the previous 12 years, you know. Um, and so a friend of mine, the gentleman that I went to Montana with, he was a uh, uh, Vietnam vet, utilized the VA in Johnson City, Tennessee quite a bit, and he told me about the uh, domiciliary program there and that they had a great homeless program. And so I drove back to Tennessee from Maine and uh, went and applied for a uh, spot at the Dom in Johnson City. And within a week, I was an inpatient at, at the uh, VA hospital there for being treated for homelessness. It was the primary reason I was there, but also for um, mental health and substance abuse. Um, you know, my main thing was alcohol, pot, you know. Uh, not that I was, you know, a raging drunk or had gotten in any kind of legal trouble, but even just a little bit when you're dealing with something as, as pervasive as depression, even just a little bit of something just magnifies that depression all the more, yeah. you know. Um, when you went to the VA in Beckley, what prompted that? How did you know to go to VA? Uh, I had gotten into a verbal altercation with somebody that I worked with, and I'm normally normally pretty chill guy, and I was physically shaking. I was so upset that I, I couldn't stop shaking. My emotions were 
totally disconnected from my brain, I guess is the best way to put it. I was unable to control those emotions and I knew something was up. I knew something was wrong. And so that was when I went to Beckley. Very well. Um, Johnson City? Yep. Um, what, where is your progression past that? Where did bring us to coming out of that? So I spent a year there and uh, it, it's sort of interesting because the first day, or not the first day, but within the first week I was there, I started seeing a psychiatrist. And the first words out of my mouth was, life sucks. You know, um, I had had a plan for getting out of it, getting out of everything altogether. You know, um, I've hated guns, hated knives, you know, but I could take some pills pretty easily and go right to sleep and never wake up, you know. And I told my psychiatrist that day, I said, life sucks, you know. Through that next year, you know, I, I would see him every week and we worked on a distraction plan, which eventually became today a hobby that I love, which is photography. We sort of came up with a plan as to, okay, you know, looking for employment, you know, stable employment that would keep me going. But it was just sort of a time of healing for me. It was also interesting because I saw other people going through the same things that I was going through. They were homeless, they, they were suffering with depression or some other form of mental illness substance abuse and they were just normal people it was great talking to them you know it's like you know we came from all different walks of life you know but the thing we had in common was the military we were brothers you know bound by our service in the military you know and just like you know you never leave a brother alone on the battlefield we wouldn't leave a brother alone in the hospital you know, if there was any problems after a year i found a job with the national park service up at shenandoah national park working in trails and I thought this is my dream job you know I'm actually getting um, good money you know I signed a lease for my own apartment when I got to Luray. Um I was doing what I'd done for 12 years previously and finally getting paid for it but sometimes your dream job can be a nightmare because I found it increasingly difficult at 50 to go up and down the mountains and my body literally gave up. I could realize I could no longer do it any longer. So at the end of the first year, I left. Decided I had to reinvent myself because I didn't have any job skills. You know, digging dirt isn't a marketable skill. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a college degree. So it was a little scary, you know. I wound up, um, and for three months I was unemployed trying to figure out what to do. I was in Luray, my landlord there was very gracious and worked with me on, on, you know, he says, if you got rent, great, if not, great, don't worry about it. You know, we know what you're going through. And so for three months I tried to sort of analyze which direction I go. I could have easily gone back to Johnson City, back to the VA hospital, but the economy was still trying to recover at that point. I knew I'd be back in the same position I was at before. I did, really honestly didn't want to go there. I had some friends in DC I called and, uh, I said, hey, I'm thinking about coming, come on, you know. And I looked at the job market, looked at the unemployment level at that rate. DC had one of the lowest unemployment rates in the States. So I made the jump to move up here. I found a, another seasonal job at Arlington National Cemetery, um, doing groundskeeping there. Worked there for a few weeks and then got a uh, seasonal job with the VA uh, with the National Cemetery Service at Culpeper National Cemetery. Okay. And I finished out the season down there uh, as a landscaper. 
what it did was it gave me, gave me some time to figure out, okay, what did I want to do? And put out some applications, reworked my resume. Once that job ended, I st really started putting out my resume different places. Um, this is in the fall of 20, or actually winter of uh, 2012, around the October, November, December timeframe of 2012. Put in my application several different places and I got a job offer with Amtrak. I interviewed and I'd gotten approved and I was, I was scheduled to go to training on uh, January 7th of 2013. The day after I was given that job, the day after I was offered that job, I was looking in Craigslist, still looking for work because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do something physical like that. And I saw a job advertisement for a veterans outreach specialist at this place called Pathways to Housing in Washington, D.C. And I read the job description you know, about working with formerly homeless and homeless veterans. I'm like, hmm. But I'd never had any social work. I had no idea how to, how to, how I, I didn't think there was a possibility. But I said, why not? I'll give it a shot. So rather than market myself based on my job history, which is pretty sketchy up at that point, <laughs> I decided to market myself based on my skills and the fact that I had been a homeless veteran. The fact that I do know what these guys are going through. I've been there, done that. And I came here and interviewed and I started here the same day that I was supposed to start at Amtrak. I told them, sorry, I've got another job. Um, it wasn't as much money working here, but I felt that the long-term rewards would be much greater. And it's proven to be so. First two years I was here, I worked for a program uh, under contract from the Veterans Administration called Supportive Services for Veteran Families. We were a subcontractor for another uh, nonprofit here in DC. After two years, we lost that grant. I'm now working for our Veterans Housing First Team. Um, we work with 50 veterans uh, who have been awarded hud vash vouchers. I'm actually working as a, a peer specialist and I'm in the process of getting my certification. That's very cool. What it, so let's talk about working with homeless veterans. Um, tell me about, um, let's first identify what's one of the challenges you've noticed in um, either reaching out to veterans or um, getting them into your program, working with them. What's a challenge you've noticed? Biggest challenge I think personally is establishing trust with them. They're, they've been homeless in many cases for 20, 25, 30 years. Um, they've been promised so many different things and none of those promises have been fulfilled. They have a deep, deep level of distrust um, for anything government, including the VA. So a lot of times just the hardest part is just building, building a level of trust, building a level, level of rapport. You know, we can meet someone and say, hey, we're going to get you housed. They say, fine, prove it. You know, they, want to, they, they, they don't want to hear our words, they want to see our actions. So a lot, of times, a lot of times the hardest thing is building that level of trust. Once we get there, once they find out that I've been where they're at, that I have been homeless, that helps establish a deeper level of trust because they know that I've been through what they're going through, or I've felt the things that they feel. And uh, it's given me sort of an edge in working with some of the population that we work with. You know? So then on the other side, um, I imagine it's when you get get that trust. But when where's the reward? When do you feel? When do you go home feeling fulfilled? When I see uh, somebody who has made a positive change in their life, you know, uh, I've seen people who, when they first came into our program, had no money, you know, had no income, 
Um, it's great seeing them get off the street, get in their own place, and they're like, wow, this is mine, you know? Um, it's great seeing their faces when we hand them the keys to their own apartment. It's great seeing a person start to plan for their future when they've had no money, when they even start getting just a little bit every month now. You know, it's great seeing that. I just know that every day when I leave here, I've made a difference in someone's life one way or another. Yeah. I know a man in D.C., veteran, um, who's homeless. Um, I feel guilty calling him my friend, not because I don't, not because I don't believe that him and I are friends, but I feel guilty knowing that I have someone I would call a friend that's homeless. But I know that he's connected with Pathways. Mm-hmm. Um, I just spoke to him last week, and I actually, when I saw him, I hadn't seen him in, in months, and I saw him and I ran up to him um, asking him how he's doing. And the first thing I was going to do was tell him about Pathways to Housing, and he was like, he told me he has an apartment, and then he got it through Pathways to Housing. Cool. So I was, I was very uh, relieved to hear that. If someone listening right now, um, you know, VA has its hotline for homeless veterans or soon-to-be homeless veterans. I'm going to give that after the interview. But maybe if, if a veteran's not comfortable with VA, you know, there's a lot of trust there, a lot of trust issues there. Um, but someone knows a veteran, they, they pass by the same person on the street maybe, you know, every week, every day on the way to work. What's, how, can, how can the average person help? With, you know, I, I know a lot of people have reservations about tossing change into a cup or um, about other ways that we, you know, other requests we see on these signs, but I know a lot of people want to make a difference in the lives of homeless persons that they walk by, especially veterans. What can the average person do or say or, or guide that, per, that uh, homeless veteran to, to benefit them? Just sit down, talk to them, listen to them. A lot of people don't want to engage with other homeless individuals because of the stigma that's involved. When, if you sit down and talk to these people, they're just like you and I, you know. Um, a lot of times they just want someone to talk to, you know. Um, and I would say that's the biggest thing, is be open to, be open to talk to them, you know. Don't, you can give them money, but it's that personal human interaction that people crave, that people desire. You know, someone, it's cold outside, give them a cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, just be a, be a friend to them, be that friend to them that they don't have. Because right, a lot of these people that are in that position don't have anybody they can trust. You know. I le- this is one of my favorite questions to ask people, and I'm gonna ask it to you in two ways. Um, looking back your four years in the military, what skills, disciplines, skills, uh, traits, talents that, that you get in the military that both contributes to your success now and also contributed to you being able to maintain your life the way you did while you were homeless? Let me answer the second part yeah, first yeah. because that's easy. Yeah, I, I went the other way around. And just, just being able to be independent, you know, uh, knowing that everything you need is on your back, you know, when you're doing, you know, if, if I never went to battle, but if we had, I realized that everything I would have needed would have been on my back. You know, it was very, you had to be very self-sustaining, you know. And when I was homeless, I carried everything in my backpack. Everything I needed was on my back. And the phrase was, everything I wanted was in the next town, you know. I think so far as what's benefiting, benefiting me most today is respect. You know, treat others with the same respect that you want to be treated, you know. Um, 
I learned that in the military. I learned that from my family, my dad, who was ex-military, and it's carried with me today. You know, we got to learn to respect each other. Yeah. Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for your service, not only in the military, but how you're serving our veterans now. I'm eager to, to work with Pathways uh, in the future. I know the um, plenty, you know, VA has a strong connection with Pathways and the way we help veterans get uh, off the streets and into housing. I love the housing first uh, method and really grateful to be able to see the great work that you guys yeah. are doing. There's a lot of resources available, um, not only in DC, but nationwide for veterans, regardless of if they're homeless, dealing with mental or substance health uh, issues. Just reach out, you know, check with your local VA, your local uh, vet center, uh, any, any number of uh, veteran service providers like VFW, uh, Disabled American Veterans, Iraq Afghanistan uh, Alliance. There's all kinds of nonprofits and agencies, that are, and there's all kinds of help out there for veterans. Just need to be out there, be willing to reach out and ask for it or help connect them with that assistance of your friend or family member. We grew up together. We believed in something bigger than ourselves. The military took me to one side of the world and her to the other. And even though she was always the strong one, when we caught up years later, I found out she had fallen on some hard times. It was her call to make, but doing it together made all the difference. For veterans who are homeless or on the brink of homelessness, call 877-424-3838. As you've heard in the PSAs and in the interview, VA aids homeless or at-risk veterans. If you call the number 1-877-424-3838, you'll reach a representative that will get your information and help connect you to a VA medical center and a case manager closest to you. They will then be able to get you in touch with the benefits you earned. Today's veteran of the day is Christopher Ford. Chris served in the Air Force for 20 years. He deployed in support of Southern Watch, Operation Enduring Freedom, and Operation Iraqi Freedom. He is now the CEO of National Association of Veteran Serving Organizations. For his full write-up and to learn how you can submit your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up Episode 12. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time here with me. If you have any feedback or questions and like to have them answered on the show, please tweet them to us using hashtag VA podcast or emailing us newmedia at va.gov. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at DEPT Vet Affairs for photos from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>